Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. The oldest baby boomers are now 75 years old. <laughs> We're so, some babies. This generation has led the culture ever since we were born in the wake of the Second World War when our parents got married in droves and they nested in the new suburbias and little starter homes that are beloved today, those old 50s homes. Then as the boomers grew up, they led the youth quake of the 60s all that rock and roll music, the feminist revolt. And then those who had not gotten into college started to be drafted. That was when the draft had to end because basically they were taking people off the streets, sending them to Vietnam to die. And so we got all those marches against the Vietnam War. The year I graduated from college, 1968, we didn't even have a graduation. We closed school early and we got to pick up our diplomas on a table outside the administration building. That was what it was like back then. And, and frankly, by the end of the, series, the 60s, there was so much, so much had changed so fast. Everybody wondered whether we ever would get back to normal. But of course, the baby boomers again, leading everything, outgrew their craziness. And in the 70s, we all settled down to disco music. Remember that? Mixing plaids with prints on men, for heaven's sake, wide ties like bibs, bad haircuts. The, the 70s are forgettable, but the 80s brought the boomers early successes. Women had those, remember the big shoulders and big hair, and, and they were lead into the 90s when the boomers themselves became parents and their kids grew up, and now we're two decades into the aughts. Baby boomers are mostly empty nesters. The youngest of them are nearing 60, and something like half of the baby boomers are already retired. It still amazes me to say that the, the oldest of those boomers, all born in the same year in 1946, includes now three living American presidents. Whatever the trend was, the baby boom generation has led it, especially in the United States. And so now we are all ready for the next big thing. So what's next for the boomers? Well, death, of course, that's what comes next for us. Today, we're again talking with Tricia Robertson, who's with us for the third time. Tricia is a, a serious scholar. She's a former teacher of physics and mathematics and a lecturer in psychical research at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. She's with us today from, from the United Kingdom and really specifically from Scotland. Like me, she spent decades researching death in the afterlife and all things paranormal, just kind of as a hobby, I guess. And the result was three very entertaining books called Things You Can Do When You're Dead. More things you can do when you're dead. And it's life and death, but not as you know it. We've talked about the first book and the third book on prior Seek Reality episodes. So today we're going to be talking about Trisha's, Trisha's second book, mostly. It's called More Things You Can Do When You're Dead. Welcome, Trisha. I'm so glad to have you back with us again. I'm glad to be back, Roberta. I think your books are really entertaining. What, what they are mostly is your the, the research that you have done, the evidence you have found that human consciousness really is eternal, which, frankly, I think is the, is the important issue of the age. I don't know how you feel about that. Yes, that's, that's exactly the position I'm in at the moment. As you say, for those people who do not know me, I've been doing this since... Uh, 1985, actually, definitely one of the baby boomers, Roberta, that you speak about, <laughs> like yourself. And uh -huh. we are, we are the best. We are the best. No, but seriously, um, <laughs> if you'd, if you'd asked me 30 years ago, would I be doing this now? I would have said, absolutely not, not interested. And then as probably some of you well know, in life, things are produced in front of you. And if you're wise, you will follow them up. And my interest originally was an intellectual interest. Is there something in this? And as I've said before, I had no no deaths in the family. I wasn't sad. I had a lovely house, lovely cars, etc., and lovely family. And then I was 
intellectually drawn into examining these things, all aspects of the paranormal. But uh, the more I looked into it, the more I was uh, intrigued by evidence initially from mediums who were giving what seemed like good evidence to people from platforms. And from then, as you know, I looked into that and studied it a bit further. Then I met Professor Archie Roy, and together we actually designed some experiments to see if information given in a, re in a research setting, if there was valid information being given to sitters. And after a five-year study, going out and about to many places throughout the UK, we did a very, very strict study under double-blind conditions about the information transfer from mediums to sitters. And we came up after a huge amount of work with the fact that it, the, the odds were a million to one that any of these things could be by chance alone. Wow. But the fact, but you've got to be careful here because the fact that information can be transferred in itself is interesting, but you always ask the question, but where is information coming from? And that, that's, the, that's the tricky one, because there can be information. If there is such a thing as a Akashic record, people could be downloading information and feeding it back to you, or they could be feeding it back telepathically from you, or simply by psychically kind of working it out. Anyway, we eliminated all of those other things, and we came up with the fact that information can certainly, valid information from mediums to sitters, mediums, information that mediums could not possibly know in any way. So get out the road. That, that, that's a given now, because we've done, we have done it. Nowadays, people want to do they say a similar experiment, but Archie and I had a 1,600 points in our final graph. Nowadays, they want to use two, it's two, two mediums and five sitters to do an experiment. Oh, that, that's absolutely useless. I mean, nobody, I, do, I will bet you that nobody will spend five years and the time and travel that Archie and I did with all our, of our protocols. There are, there are scientific papers on it that would bore you to tears, so I'm not going to uh, bother with that, except to say that we are very often cited in different professors' lectures when they give a lecture. So that's done and dusted. Information can be transferred. Right, fine. That's not <laughs> the imp important thing. What you, oh, said, wow. what you said is important. Nowadays, it's consciousness is a buzzword. Does our consciousness, the real us, the energetic part of our body survive with all its memories, with all its uh, faults, all its frailties uh, after we die? And it would appear to me after a long study that it certainly does. Now, funnily enough, the other day there, uh, I, more and more people are becoming interested in the fact, do we come back again in a, in a for form of reincarnation? And there is evidence to support that certainly some people, especially children, especially people whose lives have been cut short, eh, may certainly come back again. But we'll avoid that just now. Someone asked a question in one of the forums, can a body survive without a soul? And I think that you and I would know the answer to that. No, no because the soul, the real you, the real Roberta, who's very... A forceful and energetic and energetic's a great word because the, our soul spirit call it what you will is the energy that causes us to be to exist at all and the body is merely a vessel uh, for our soul to express itself whatever that energy is don't ask me where it comes from. I have no idea. But then, but then again, scientists have no. They, they talk about. I mean, I've have I have astronomical friends, and I don't mean they're just great people that do astronomy. And <laughs> apart from the ridiculous Professor Brian Cox, who made a statement the other day in the newspaper that science had proved definitively that there is no life after death. Now that is a load of. Twiddle. Yeah, that's just silly. And it's just speaking of he, idiot scientists, I have no. He's not. Many he, people he, he don't is, understand. You could. I don't know if you, you got that in in America or Canada or whatever. But he, he that man is a fantastic astronomer. He makes wonderful astronomical programs. But 
to, to say that is just, is for a start, it's not scientific because speaking to another astronomer friend, they don't really know if the Big Bang Theory is real at all. They have no idea. They're all theories. They're, yeah. they're all theories. And they, 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 you certainly can't prove a negative that there's no life after death. And quite frankly... Appreciate they're all doing this. They are desperate. Do you know that in the United States... There is right, there's right now about a billion dollars being invested in trying to find a source of consciousness inside the human brain. Which they won't find course, it there. <laughs> as you know, that's like, you know, taking your part of transistor radio and trying to find Elvis Presley, the source of Elvis Presley's voice. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, because it's the, stupid. The, the sad, no, it's, it's actually sad. The sad thing is they don't know any better. Now, no. I, also, I also know, um, as, as if I'm name dropping here, I also know a lot of neuroscientists, uh, uh, surgeons, uh, nurses, doctors. And they will tell you, uh, especially the neuroscientists, that it, consciousness it cannot lie in the brain. And I will give you some examples of that, if you would like, in a moment. It cannot. Sure. The reality is that when, when your soul departs because it's tight because the physical body is no use anymore the body's just a body that's why in a lot of ways you know big funerals and mourning the body is is just it's just strange in fact i'll tell you something that i'll probably <laughs> i'll tell you something i'll probably cry about my granddaughter has just started university uh, she's doing nursing and she's just started the second year in nursing. And you probably know that last year was a bit of a mess with COVID. They, they really couldn't do a lot of placements in hospitals. But this year, she's managing to get some placements. Now, she's, she's young. I mean, she's very young for her age. She's not a mature 19-year-old. She's a very young, lovely girl, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. One of those very lovely, innocent people. And I nearly... Well, I, did, I probably did cry later. She was telling me on the phone that she had to hold someone's hand as they died. Now, she's never done that before. No. And uh, I'll probably cry. And she oh, said dear. to me, she said to me, I knew she was dead because the light went out of her eyes. Yeah. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Just to sit there, a young person not knowing anything. And that light, that spark, that energy, we're back to the energy again. That energy had gone, so the physical body was no use. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful lesson for her to learn at 19 years of age. Oh, and all God. nurses and doctors will know that, of course, as well. But yeah. we're back to this thing of consciousness and back to the, the, poor, the poor people, I will say, like Brian Cox, who actually think that consciousness in the brain, it is certainly not. And I can <laughs> give you many examples of that, as I have in the second book. And one of, to me... One of the finest uh, elements of proof is when you get what you call a drop-in communicator. That's perhaps in a circle, or it could even be in your own house. If someone comes in to speak to you, someone you don't know, they tell you something you have no idea about, another person, and you have got to go and find out. And then you find out what you were told was true. Now, okay, somebody might say that's telepathy, but I don't think so. Now, a Dr. Alan Gold. Uh, I think Alan was actually a, 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 not a philosopher. I think he was a psychologist. But anyway, Alan, fortunately, in, in 1965, decided to investigate a circle that had got masses and masses of uh, information given through the medium. And one of the ones that he, uh, he, he looked at later on was the strange case of Harry Stockbridge. Now, Harry Stockbridge came through the circle and said that he fought in the First World War. And yeah. he get and he gave his. I'm, I'm reading it from the book, so I get the dates right. And uh, he gave his date of death as the 14th of July, 1916. And he gave enough a lot of information about his height, you know, all that what he looked like, the name of the the group he was with, the Fusiliers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He came from Leicester, bloody bloody blah. <laughs> so um, Alan Gold he decided to investigate that and he went to the war memorial in leicester which gave i'm reading this the official list of the officers that died in the great war and they listed harry stockbridge's death as the 19th of july whereas the spirit person said he died on the 14th of july 
So Alan, being Alan, decided to write to the War Office and he got the Army records and, believe it or not, he got this very formal letter confirming that Harry Stockbridge did indeed die on the 14th of July, not the date that was on the War Memorial. Now, how can you argue with that? I mean, (laughs) you can't. You can't yeah. really argue with that. And then you you have the, uh, well, well, there are va- various ways of looking at proof. There's only a certain amount of proof that we can actually get. And uh, But to me, my wow moment, my absolutely wow moment was, uh, I can't remember what year it was now, to be honest with you, when this woman came to me and she wanted to speak to me about the death of her daughter. And of course, I didn't know the woman. I'd never met her before in my life. And the daughter had been dead six months. And she said the police were not finding out who had murdered her. And uh, could I help her? And I, I knew immediately she wanted a reading with a good medium, but I wasn't going to do that. So I asked her to bring me in an envelope, a sealed envelope, something that belonged to her daughter. And I would take it to a few mediums and see if they'd anything to say about it which I duly did. So a couple of days later, she came along and I met her somewhere else and she gave me an envelope, a brown A5 envelope filled with things that were bumpy, just bumpy things. It wasn't a watch, it wasn't a ring, it was just something you couldn't possibly tell what was in it. I did take it to a couple of mediums, uh, first of all, and they, they, they said a few things about it, but nothing, nothing really very much. And then I went to a medium that I know who lives in a different place and I was very friendly with, but that's not the point. And I was able to knock the door. I was shouted to come in and the medium was sitting at a table with a computer in one hand and a cigarette in the other, working on the laptop. And I literally plonked down the envelope in front of him and I said, can you tell me what you can get from this? Now, he looked at me with a very disdainful look and he said, do I have to? And I went, yeah, you do. (laughs) That's cheeky. (laughs) Very cheeky, but we know each other. You know your friends when you can be cheeky to them. And he went, (laughs) the face was drawing, do I have to? And I went, yeah, like that. So reluctantly, very reluctantly, he put the cigarette down in an ashtray and literally put his hand on the envelope and I'm not joking when I say instantaneously from the face like that he looked up at him and he said I've got a girl here that was murdered and of course I don't know anything about the murder the murder happened six months earlier in a place that I don't live in don't know anything about it at all so I'm just nodding I'm nodding yes and of course I had my notebook and my recorder so he just started to talk um She's a girl with a medium length brown hair and she's telling me, now what I'm going to tell you is not in order. She's telling me she was murdered and she's telling me that her boyfriend, and he did give a name, which I won't say, her boyfriend was the first one to know she was dead and he phoned her mother. So I haven't, I'm just writing the things down and, and recording it. She's telling me she misses her three cats. She's telling me that she lived in a cul-de-sac uh, you know, a cul-de-sac is, yeah, a road with no end yes. on it. Ah, yeah. It's blocked off. She lives in a cul-de-sac in a flat, one up on the right-hand side. And uh, so I'm writing all this down. Now, as you can gather, being mathematical, I'm very straightforward. Everything's in a line, you know, one statement, two statements and so on. So I'm just making a list of the actual facts that the medium's telling me. She's telling me she has a tattoo above her left breast which is two hearts entwined and he gave the two colours of the hearts that were entwined and described the shape of this tattoo and she has another tattoo behind her right arm in the form of a rose and gave the colours of that tattoo as well I'm doing this off the top of my head I'm trying to remember yes. and then she, then she she said the one the kind of wow moment was now I don't know and have never known anyone who's ever been in prison she's telling me that when she was younger she was in Cortonville prison and I thought wow so I, I, I thought well that's either true or it's not true you can't make right, it up there's no gray there no, <laughs> yes. there's no, no there's no leeway at all so right. I'm actually I'm actually thinking kind of sweary words like bloody hell you know I'm writing it down <laughs> and then 
she's also telling me that when she was younger, she had a termination of a pregnancy. I'm writing all that down. I'm trying to remember what else. Oh, yeah, she's telling me as we speak here today, she's, well, it was like a three-way conversation. She was telling the medium, and it's as if I was nothing. And he was saying to me, she's telling me that her mother moved her photograph today from the top of the mantelpiece to the top of the television. And I'm just writing it down. Now, what else did she say? I'm trying to think what the other thing was. Uh, she, she gave a little, she gave a, a few details about about her actual murder. And she said it wasn't one man that killed her. It was two. And that all her injuries were down her back. And I've missed something, but I'll, I'll remember in a minute what the other... Th- anyway, what I've told you is enough to be going on with. Altogether, she gave... Uh, and I just said, thank you very much. I hadn't a clue if it was right, wrong, or whatever. So, of course, then I probably had a cup of tea with my friend, said thanks very much, and never, didn't tell him anything about it. And then two days, I had, then I made an arrangement two days later to see the mother. So by this time, I had written all my stuff down in legible handwriting. And I said to the mother, I, this time I went to her house. She, got, she gave me her address and I went to her house. And I said, look, I have been to see mediums and I'm going to read you some statements and I want you to tell me if, it's, if they're correct or wrong. There's no grey area here. You know, it, it's, it's either right or it's wrong. There's nothing. If it changes, it's wrong. Count it as wrong. So I read her. All of the things I told you that ex- uh, I did say the Contenville prison and she said, yes, that's right. I did not ask her about the pregnancy because I thought you've just had a daughter that's been murdered and you might not have known that she got rid of a baby. Yes. So I didn't tell her that. I also yeah. didn't tell her anything about uh, the, uh, you know, the murder. But it, I did find out surreptitiously that all her injuries were at her back. Uh, I'm sure I've forgotten something, but I'll remember in a minute. I think I've got the, the main points. So altogether, the girl, the girl had given me 20, uh, 29 pieces of information. I could break them down in specific information. You know, she, uh, she, and one t- the two tattoos and the, the phone call and all the rest of it. And every single thing that I, oh, I, I've forgotten something. So when I walked into the mother's flat, there was a photograph of a girl on top of the television. That was before the very thin televisions that we have now. And I said to her, oh, is that your daughter? Oh, yes, she said, I just moved that photograph there two days ago from the top of the fireplace to the top of the television. So I went, okay, to myself, I'm thinking, okay. So (laughs) um, everything, everything, I read out 22 pieces of information. The rest I kept to myself because I didn't feel it was appropriate when your daughter had been murdered. And 22 of the statements that I read out were absolutely correct. Now, when you're doing that, when you're doing the mathematics and that, I could have cheated. Well, not cheated. You could have said there's 29 pieces of information and 22 were correct. Now, but to be fair to the statistics, it, 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 you know, I'm being unfair to myself. I could have said 22 out of 22 were correct, which I didn't do. I did it as if the other four were the other what, seven were indecisive. But even with those, uh, with that amount, these amount of figures on it, it it's a, it's it's an astronomical statistical yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. positive that the that the girl had given. And I I was in no doubt that I was speaking literally. I couldn't see her, of course. He, he could see her, and and we had a we had an amazing conversation. Um, it, we didn't get any rich resolution on it, but the point was that at least the mother knew that the girl was communicating, and the boyfriend right. was was the first one to know she had died, and uh, so all of that was correct. Now, once again, we're back to consciousness and information. I was given all that information. The medium did not even want to put his hand on on the envelope. <laughs> he wasn't interested. He didn't know the girl. hadn't a clue I was there for. I didn't know anything about it, and yet all of that information was correct. And yeah. there really is, in fact, it's okay saying perhaps it's downloaded from some kind of digital Akashic record. But if you think about it, the girl said, my mother has moved my photograph today from the top of the, the mantelpiece to the top of the television. And that was correct. She knew what happened after she died. 
And that's very, very important. It's not just regurgitating something that was somewhere in some invisible, possibly imaginary um, library somewhere, which makes the whole thing very, very mysterious. Now, you and I both speak about seeking reality. Well, we have the question, what is reality? Now, I can only cope with so much of it. And once <laughs> people, when people start getting into airy-fairy theories and ideas about levels and this, I just go, no, let's deal with what's happening here and now. We're physical. When the energetic part of you dies, there's more than enough evidence over the past 140 years to, to, to know that that intelligence, that interaction. In fact, I've, I've, you know, my colleague, Professor Archie Roy, died in 2012. Archie was a generation older than me. But I've had Archie back on several occasions, but he still comes back through various mediums with his sense of humour and, and, the, and the mannerisms and, and the memories that he's got. But it's to me, it's not so much the actual memories, it's the mannerisms, it's the way of talking, it's the syntax that yeah. makes that the, the reality of the consciousness uh, real, if you want to say, in, in as much as we can understand reality. We know we get up in the morning, we drive a car, we go to the shops. All of these things are real. People try to tell us this is an imaginary world. I don't think that's right. I don't think we live in a matrix. I think it's much more interesting than that. And it's all these little evidential things that I absolutely love. No, I, I think you're, you're uh, right on about all of that. And your books are great because they contain a lot of real people doing real things. Yep, and yep. this one um, it has a number of phenomena that um, a lot of people should really know more about. Um, materialization, drop-in yep. communicators, poltergeists, yep. earthbounds, um, mm-hmm. a lot of obsession and possession by spirits. The, the real people, real real people, real things, it's real. But yeah. you also do something which um, I think is very important. You you pull together some accounts and you draw conclusions. And the conclusions you draw about what the afterlife is like are right on. They're exactly what I've drawn after, you know, 50 years of doing this research. I, I, that's part of why I know it's real, because everybody who really does the research comes up with all the same details. It's quite well, amazing. That's what makes me so angry, really, about people what like, you angry, really? about Professor Brian Cox and those, those oh, deniers. Okay. That right. They obviously have not looked into any of the actual evidence. Okay, you and I know there's a lot of rubbish spoken about this as well, and a lot of television shows that don't do any of us any good at all. But they haven't looked at, into any of the, the real stuff. What's really, what really happens to real people in the real world? They just haven't looked at it. And uh, you can never prove um, 100% to anyone's satisfaction that the spirit, like, well, they wouldn't call it spirit world, that consciousness survives. But those of us who have done the research and seen different forms, different forms of evidence for ourselves know that these things actually happen. Poltergeist activity in itself is a very interesting thing. Now, there's various forms of poltergeist activity, as I discuss in the book. Not all, see, there's no such thing as a poltergeist. First of all, let's get that straight. And the other thing we suffer from is definitions. There is no such yes. thing as a poltergeist. You could have uh, an influence from a spirit person. Uh, you could have um, influence from the physical person. And I'll, I'll clarify that for you now. I've had many cases where there is poltergeist activity in the house, where things are moving, where electric, electrical things are going on and off. Uh, in fact, I, I don't know if I told you this before, but one of, to me, one of the most fantastic cases of poltergeist on my own was uh, when Archie and I were called to a house in Fife in Scotland, that's a more northern part of Scotland, and the, the phenomena that was explained to us was that every time the 13-year-old daughter walked into her bedroom, over the threshold of the bedroom door, there was like a clap of thunder in the room, and the, the walls appeared to shake, and there was this huge clap of thunder in in the room and we were told other things were happening as well but anyway up we went I drove Archie up 
and we were told everything that happened. And every time that the girl at the weekend went down to stay with her grandmother, that they were getting phenomena in the grandmother's house as well. Now, before we were called, Archie used to call us rent to kill. I don't know what you've got in America. It's people that rid, rid thing, people of pets like rice and it's um, rice, mice and rats even. And uh, Archie used to call us rent to kill because when they've tried everything else, they used to call us out because they didn't know where else to go. And before we went, there had been three different churches had been to the house. Uh, well, actually, two. One wouldn't come at all. But there were, they went to the Roman Catholic Church. They wouldn't come. Church of Scotland, they wouldn't come to the house. But the Church of England vicar came to the house. And he went through and blessed the house, etc., etc. And the vicar was able to see that when the girl stepped over the threshold into the bedroom, they heard this massive clap of thunder. And then the vicar went through the house saying prayers, you know, etc., clear the house, all of that. And he said, well, that'll be all right now. And the mother said, oh, before you go, before you go, we'll call the girl Liz. That's not her name. We'll let Liz go into the bedroom and see if it's okay. So Liz stepped, put one foot into the bedroom again. As soon as she put her foot in, there was this clap of thunder and the walls appeared to shake in the whole house. And the, the, the man was last seen the vicar was last seen running down the path saying, I'll need to call the bishop, but he never, ever came back again. So that was that. And then, then they called us. Now, most of this stuff, you have to really listen to what the people are saying. So anyway, Archie and I listened to all of this, et cetera, et cetera. And it became clear to me that after about two hours of talking, that every weekend, a mother had a new boyfriend and mother would bring the boyfriend into the house and the daughter would be sent down to stay with the grandmother who lived a mile or so away. And she had to stay with the grandmother and sleep in a, a double bed in the grandmother's house. And every time she went there, they had the most incredible phenomena, which we actually got recorded, whereas they would line go to bed at night and the bed would start to shake from side to side and they would be tossed out the bed with a tremendous noise and all the furniture roundabout would do all sorts of things. Now before we got there they had actually got three men to come one night and stay in the living room and when that started to happen the men came in and tried to hold down the end of the bed but nothing they could do would stop the vibration of the bed. And most of all, above the bed head, there was a terrible sound coming from the bed head. You know, the bed at the top of the bed. It was a noise like a whip cracking. But the noise seemed to be coming out of the bed head rather than going in, like a big crack of a whip. Now, <clears throat> Archie and I, we put a tape recorder under the bed and we came back later to hear the tape recording. And sure enough, we heard all of this on the tape recorder. And this noise of the, the noise coming from the bedhead was quite strange. And every, every time this crack came, the grandmother would swear at the bedhead, which I'm not allowed to do in this program. And it, it was actually <laughs> quite funny in a way. Uh, but I don't know your policy on using swear words, but I'll try not to use them. Only the and, host can use them, and she doesn't right, okay. really do that. Well, I, I'll in, I shall infer the words. And every t oh, this is on the recording, and every time this terrible noise came out of the bedhead, like a crack, the grandmother would say, hey, away you go, you, you know, mm, begins with B. And every so often she would tell the poltergeist noise to sort of, off every so often and I she became quite funny but, but the grandmother she was well over 80 the granny and an old an old fife lady anyway this was all going on in the grandmother's house uh this was going on in the, their own house every time she walked in there was a that, that noise in the bedroom and they said for a while they sent it to an aunt's house and when she was in the aunt's house there was some phenomena but not nearly to the same extent as it was in the other house. So anyway, it became obvious to me that the girl was being put out every weekend to go to the grands. And it became obvious to me that the girl didn't know it, but she was resenting this fact uh, that yeah. her mother was putting her out to have a boyfriend. So I, I, I was winging it. I was literally winging it. And what you do in a case is you separate the people you know, you asked to go to the toilet or something and one people, person would show me the toilet and Archie would be able to talk to the other one. You know, we can compare accounts later on. That's another thing that you actually do. 
Anyway, it became obvious to me that a lot of it was stress. It just became obvious to me. I just knew. So what I did was I said, sometimes these things happen to the family. Now, stress is built up in a family. We don't know why. But and I'll I'll give you some techniques to de-stress the house and yourselves. So I made up I made up a meditation, if you can even call it that, a color visualization. And I said, now every night I want mother and daughter to sit together, two chairs facing each other, and I gave them a colored meditation to do, just putting the colors down, etc., and hold hands. What I was really doing was giving the mother and daughter ten minutes every night on their own with the daughter had her mother's undivided attention. And I and I also suggested the daughter take up track running. She was six, she was 13. She used to run on a track and she hadn't been doing it just to burn off her energy. I didn't tell her that was the reason. <clears throat> and anyway, so I suggested that these things happen, they, they build up and they go away again. And you probably find within two weeks, if you do that every night, every night, that these all this phenomena will cease. And you'll not believe me, within two weeks, all of the phenomena had stopped. And all of that was coming from the 13-year-old girl's uh, inner resentment at being put out at the weekend. They never had any more bother after that. And that is an absolutely true story. No spirits involved. And yet there, were, it, there was poltergeist activity in the house, but not from anyone who had died. Whereas I, in another... Actually, it is true. It, I think is what poltergeist activity actually is. I think because almost always there's an associated person younger than 16 um, in every, certainly every time I've investigated one of these um, in every account I've ever read. And generally uh, th- these adolescents apparently have increased um, mental abilities to affect reality. They're, they're growing up and that seems to be suddenly coming where they're coming into their own. And so the, the things fly around the room or this or that happens because the kid is upset. And and uh, so that's a that's ex- a great example of well again it, that's what it turned out to be yeah it's it's not always that 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 is the, the thing with all this paranormal stuff is you can't be definite you can't say this is what happens when you do a this is what happens when you do b there's always gray areas in between no I found quite a few that come from an adult as well for different reasons but probably adults that have uh, the the similar situation where they're they have the elevated ability mentally to affect things but i've never seen a case which was uh could be traced to someone who was dead they may exist because oh no 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 no, is the mental ability to affect physical reality no I, i would disagree with you there if, and if you think about it, the physical person, we have, we have this tremendous ability to affect things around us. But so, so does the consciousness of the people who have actually died. No, an, another case, another case was, uh, it was a, a brand new house, young couple with a baby. And, uh, I can't actually remember what was reported to us when we got there. But, uh, when it was a strange house in the middle of the lounge, there was a staircase going up the stair. And it was reported the baby was six months old. And if they put the baby in its pram at the foot of the stair, from six months old, it would always look up the stair and smile at something at the top of the stairs. That was the first thing. That in itself is nothing. Now, the next thing was that they noticed, you know, that every time they went out, all of them went out, and they would come in and there were things in the hall had been moved, especially this one particular vase was never in the same place as when they left. And then the reason they phoned us was one night when the baby was actually in in bed, they were sitting at the side of the fire. They had a wooden floor and in the corner of the room, and I tested it, there was no drafts, no windows, no nothing. There was a pile of baby toys because when a baby boy is born, people always buy them trucks and toys and all things that the baby can't possibly use that the fathers can. And in this corner, uh, they were sitting quietly watching television and they heard this noise from the corner. It sounded like... (laughs) And then um, a car, a little toy car, came out of the corner, crossed over the wooden floor in front of them and went to the other side of the room and they looked at each other. And then another noise... (laughs) Another car had 
of wound itself up, come across the floor. And of course, the man by this time, he was a big six foot four man. He was terrified. And then in this corner was a balloon, a helium balloon on a very long string. And they suddenly looked at the, the balloon and it started to describe a circle going round. Woo, 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 woo. Didn't make a noise. I'm just doing that to let you know. And every time it went round, it got faster and faster. And at the top of the balloon, there was a pulsating blue light on every revolution, like light, light, light. Well, the man was absolutely terrified. He ran away up to, to his room. He thought there was something really awful going on there. So... That's why they called us. So we went in and listened to all of this. And I did notice when I went in, the, the girl was very pale looking, very small, dainty girl. And she looked very, she looked sad. I have to say she looked very pale and sad. Anyway, through conversation, I discovered that the girl's mother, she was young. The mother had died before the baby was born. She had never seen her grandchild. And it began to click in my mind. Then I thought, okay, right, here we go. So um, I said, uh, I said, well, it's possible. I never say it's possible. And then the man said, oh, that vase in the hall has always been moved. That's a, that's a vase that she bought for us. The mother had bought for them. And then yeah. he said to then he said to me the immortal words, can you not make the old bitch go away? <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which was, and the girls have stared at him and uh, I, I passed that over and I said, uh, well, not, not really. I said, if you do want us to come back and it proves to be, you know, that it, it is your mother, I said, we can certainly come back uh, with a medium and see if that's what you want to do. But I looked at the girl and she changed from a very white, pale face. The color was in her cheeks and she was she realized my mother's just letting me know that she knows about the baby. And I said, if it persists, please do call us again. But I've never heard anything. No, there are many there are many cases where it is. Once again, this is my favorite word of the moment. My favorite word of the moment is context. Everything is in context. It depends on what's going else is going on around that particular phenomenon. I mean, I know that people laugh at orbs and there's a lot of rubbish spoken about orbs, but there are a few in context that make a very strong case that sometimes they're a wee ball of energy. I'm not saying it's a person, it's not. It's a little ball of energy. Just somebody may be sending that to you to let you know that that thing is particularly there. I, I mean, I do have examples, but I'm not going to go into orbs at the moment. Every single thing is in context as to where and when it happens. That's why, I mean, all of these ridiculous television programs about trying to find people hidden in car boots, just absolute nonsense. It's got nothing to do with the reality of the survival of consciousness. But I am totally satisfied after 35 years or so, probably more, that our consciousness survives. There's no other explanation for things that I have seen and done and and actually uh, researched. There's no dubiety about it at all. As far as I'm concerned, I can't prove it to anyone that doesn't want to listen. If they don't want to listen, then there's no point in talking to them. (laughs) I I think more and more people, that's the beauty of of our age. Yes. (laughs) um, This is the baby boom generation is a big generation. And as more and more of us look toward death. It's going to be nice that for there to be people like you and me who can explain what happens. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that, that I enjoy about your book is that you give some wonderful accounts, very detailed accounts of the afterlife from people who have uh, actually been there. I was going to read one. I don't think we have time this, this time, but um, these are accounts from people who are actually there they were received through um, uh, deep trance or uh, physical mediums. And they're exactly like what people like me over, over decades assembled, you know, fact by fact, by fact, everybody who does this research sincerely, Tricia, you and I, and everyone else come to the same Mm -hmm. conclusions that could not be coincidence. There's nothing about that. that's coincidental. Um, This is real. What we talk about every week uh, that we talk about the afterlife. We don't do it all the time now, but it's all real. And it's it possible, therefore, to prove it. That's the one way I just place I disagree with you. I think we can prove it. Um, to the extent anything, any fact can be proven, 
Um, I think the afterlife can be proven now. And that's one of the things I, I want to set out to do because I think it's very important for people who, who just are anxious to know what comes next. Well, can, if, I, if I could just interrupt you there, there are two forms of proof in our world. There's proof as in mathematical and scientific, two, like two and two will always be four. But there's proof which is even stronger as in a court of law beyond reasonable doubt and that is what we base people's lives on or we did in the past very often in in our countries and if you actually look and each of us you and I we've probably only looked a very small fraction of the actual evidence that's actually there but we have we're not stupid and we have been satisfied that the things we have looked at are and and we are convinced about are absolutely genuine and no one has the right to say we're wrong but I've also got a sort of new thing but at the moment my my big word is context and consciousness um and but you have got to be you know I do believe that the afterlife might not just be exactly the same for everybody and it depends very much on the amount of growth that you have within your energetic being call it your soul call it what you will and i have no idea how that varies but i'm quite sure that it's it's certainly fractionally different for each and every person i I can't prove that that's just me saying what i think at the moment but if i get another piece of evidence in that showed me i was wrong i would say i am wrong and it's the same for everyone that I cannot answer. But the things that I have researched, the things I've looked at, the materialization section in that book is beyond any doubt whatever because you have over 200 200 witnesses in the one room that all see and hear the same thing. And okay, these old-fashioned photographs that do look like cotton wool, uh, I don't think many of them were uh, fake. I think the photography of the time that the photography barely allowed for that to come. In fact, in my third book, as I've said before, I have photographs that have been lying in a drawer given to me by someone that been, they've been in a drawer since the 1940s. Now, if, they, if they're only giving it to me when they die, they're not trying to prove anything about these photographs. They're just saying, here, Tricia, you have them. You'll be interested in those. And I am. But of course, I can't go back to the 1940s and verify them. But why would these people lie about it? They've just had them lying in a drawer and take it as fact. This is what happened. Tricia, we are, we've come to the end of our time. You're certainly a fireball. Um, are we, are we still using TriciaRobertson.weebly.com? Is that still your website? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, uh, that will be in the notes to this uh, program, everyone. But the, the, I strongly recommend uh, Trisha's books to anyone who's interested in learning more about the afterlife, uh, because she is a scientist. She does this research as a scientist. And a lot of the examples that she gives, frankly, are some of them are common, some are rare, but they're all wonderful. So um, thank you so much, my dear, for being here. And I very much have enjoyed um, you know, hearing you talk, explain this thing, which is really so amazing and wonderful and true and which is clearly uh, absolutely and I, I, you are excited. I, I, just, I could I could add that I I. Although it's factual, I do it with a sense of humor and a certain amount of common sense as well, I think. And yes. the, I mean, we're, li- we're living in the real world. No one's any better than anybody else. Um, but it, and as far, as far as people that just will not look at it and say it's all nonsense, well, that's their problem. As it's say, their problem. We know, but we know better and hopefully we can help them with their if, if they want to, if they want to look at the journey, Everyone then is that's going to fine. come to the place in their lives where they really need to know. And we'll be there ready to help them, you and I. And uh, we do indeed. Some wonderful other people, too, who are doing the same research. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you again, Tricia. And You're very everyone, welcome. Again, we have come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you could be with us today. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you really get all the implications of that fact, it's going to change everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Linda Lee Blakemore, and she is a speaker and an advocate for women and children, especially young young women. Her first book was called 
Kids Helping Kids Break the Silence of Sexual Abuse. Wow, that's heavy. It tells the true stories of 15 child survivors. And that book got prestigious endorsements from hundreds of professionals across the country and inspired Linda to write articles about the book and, and the children in it that appeared in national magazines, including America's Family Resource, 17 Teen Voices. Linda also has appeared on a lot of national and international radio and television, including the Montel Williams show. And she's traveled the country again, advocating for children. Next week, we're going to be talking about her second book, which is called Entrenched, a memoir of holding on and letting go. There she advocates for and educates modern young women with wisdom and with almost heartbreaking honesty about her own life. This is a very moving book, and this is very important stuff. So I hope you will join us next week. And this week, we've been talking with Trisha Robertson, who, as you can see, is a fireball. And she's been with us for the third time. She's a lecturer in psychical research at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. And she has spent decades doing the research that she talked with us about today. Her three books are very entertaining and very educational. One is called Things You Can Do When You're Dead, sort of remind you of the fun of dying, same concept. And more things you can do when you're dead. And also... It's life and death, but not as you know it. We talked about the, the, the latest book when she was first with us. Then we talked about the first book. We've talked about the second book this time. And I think that was my favorite of the third, in part because she drew some conclusions, which I thought were quite wonderful. But I really recommend, I recommend these books to people who don't want to read something heavy, but want to really be educated in this topic. And she's actually a practical member of the baby boom generation. And <laughs> Like me, she's trying to help baby boomers and everybody else come to understand what's true about reality and the fact that not only do we not have anything to fear, but the best is yet to come. Um, there, as you know, I've written some books. No time to talk about them now. If you ever want to talk to me about anything, just contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy. Please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being. And you, most of all in the universe, are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.